I entered the workforce at 12, uh, which I, my stepdad uh, used to oversee this cold storage facility. And so about three days a week, I would go to work for him uh, at this facility. And so what I do is their trucks would pull up that would have these pallets full of like meat and chicken and anything that needed to be frozen. And then uh, we'd take them off the trucks, put them in the freezer. And then when they needed them back, the trucks would come. We'd take the stuff out of the freezer put it back in the trucks, and then they'd go. And so that's kind of when, at 12 years old, believe it or not, that's when I learned to drive a forklift, a pallet jack, hand trucks. I used all that stuff. And so I worked, as I mentioned, three days a week, and my pay was zero. Um, and my parents, why zero? And my, my, my mom and my stepdad said that my payment, according to them, was gaining a good work ethic. Uh, I still thought I was getting ripped off, but either way. Uh, but then I did have this caveat that I could work all day Saturday, uh, there, which what I would do is, and that, but I don't mean like nine to five. I mean, you get there at seven, you leave at seven, and I got 20 bucks. So basically, my parents were running a sweatshop, uh, and I was the sweater, and they were the sweaty, I think is how it works. But um, they, they, uh, they split up when I was, uh, just before I turned 14, and so we moved to, my mom and I, and my younger sister moved to Florida. And I got my first real job, like real as in fill out a W-4 and we're going to let the government know that you're actually working here, that kind of job, uh, at 15 uh, at Wendy's. Now, uh, it was actually worked out really well for me, because uh, working at Wendy's, because I love fast food and they sold it. So it, it was actually a good, a good relationship. <coughs> and um, I worked there for about nine months. And then um, I got another job opportunity and I left because there was this brand new company opening up. Now... This is a brand new company. You may have heard of them. They were called Target, all right? And so they were just opening. So this, now mind you, just to put you in the frame of reference, this was 1989. Now I know many of you weren't even born then, but, uh, it's 1989. And, you know, the thing that was great is that I left, and I'll be honest, I left Wendy's for the money to go work for Target. They were going to pay me $4.44 an hour. I was making three sixty-five. At, uh, at Wendy's. Yeah, you wouldn't have been wooing if you saw my paycheck. Um, and you know, now mind you, 335 was minimum wage. I know now it's like $28 or something. Uh, but back then, you know, it was, um, back then it was 335, so I'd made it up to 365, and then they were gonna pay me 444, which I thought was not all the money in the world, but it was like this close to all the money in the world. So I decided to go there, and I was a stock boy. Uh, and, and the, you know, the, the store, it wasn't, remember, it was a brand new company, so they, they had taken over a store called Richway, if you remember, anybody remembers that. Um, and so they bought all the Richway stores, and they were converting them into Targets. And so, and now I find this ironic and humorous, but uh, they gave me the responsibility of filling, of like stocking the shampoo aisle, uh, which I always thought was very funny because I don't use shampoo. Um, but uh, anyway, so th- that was my job. And so, but after like the store opened and things kind of changed and I just said, you know what? I don't want to be here anymore. So I quit. Now, I didn't really quit. I just stopped showing up to work. So which is kind of like it was my M.O. when I was young. Uh, and so I just stopped showing up. And then what happened is about a month goes by and I've come home from school one day and I'm, you know, I'm very busy. So it's about four o'clock in the afternoon after school. I'm watching cartoons. Because, you know, that's, that's what you do when you're a busy man. And so, not doing homework, watching cartoons. And uh, I think it was like the Roadrunner. And, you know, I'm trying to, maybe Wile E. Coyote is going to get him this time. Um, and so, I'm watching that. My mom comes in, and she says, what are you doing? And I said, I'm very busy. 
there's a chase going on right now that I gotta see what's gonna happen. And she says, you know, why did you quit working at Target? And then I give something about the man. You know, the man is trying to hold me down. The man is trying to hold me back. You know, I kind of give this whole thing about that. And then she says, you know, that Target was a good job for you. I don't know why you quit. You're making some extra money. And I said, well, so she said, you know, you should think about talking to your boss and going back. Well, I don't know what it is that she had a way with words that day. And, and I decided that, you know, maybe that was a pretty good job for me. So for whatever reason, I decided, you know what, I'm going to go back to work. Now, this was before. And I know, you know, now they were the red shirts at Target. But back then you wore the khaki pants and you could wear whatever dark shirt you wanted. And then but you had to wear the red vest. Now, you just you can imagine in your mind how awesome it would be to wear a fire engine red vest to go to work. You know, it's OK if you like work as a clown, but not that anyway. So that's kind of what I had to wear. And then so I but I because I just stopped going into the into work. I still had the red vest in my closet. I don't know if I was going to use it on Halloween or something, but I still had the red vest hanging up in my closet. So I said, oh, I'm just going to do it. So I put on the red vest, hopped on my scooter, another picture of coolness right there. Um, and I hopped on my scooter and I went back to Target. And, uh, you know, when my mom told me to go back there, I'm assuming she thought that I was going to actually talk to the boss. But I actually went up to the little, you know, those little computers that you got to you, you, you punch in or whatever. I just walked in and I punched in my number and it still worked. And I'm like, all right, let's do this. So I punched in my number. I was on the clock and I went back to the stock room where I was normally doing and I just started working. And I didn't tell anybody. And uh, I just rehired myself. And... Um, and I'll tell you the funny part is that I'm working, I'm talking to the guys, like, God, I thought you quit. I'm like, come on, man, I was just on a break. And then I was, just that break, usually yours lasts 15 minutes, mine lasts several weeks. Uh, and so I'm working, right? And then my boss walks by and he's like, hey, what's up? Hey, Frank, what's... Frank was, what are you doing here? He says to me, he goes, I thought you quit. And I, I you know, I hadn't really thought about what I was going to say in this conversation. This is the best thing I could come up with. I said, well, I'm back. <laughs> the best thing to me was his response. And he hears it and he goes, okay. And he just keeps walking. <clears throat> True story. <clears throat> now, mind you, like a month later or two months later, I quit again. The man holding me back, oppression, all that stuff. And, and, but here, here was my problem. My problem was is that I wanted the fruit of working, namely paycheck at the end of the week, without having to pay the price for it, namely spend hours after school and actually having to work hard to get it done. And the thing that's important is this, this is why I tell you that, that story, is that most of us want to be successful in life. We want to be successful in our careers, we want to be successful in our relationships, we want to be successful as parents, we want to be successful in our finances, we want to be successful in our marriages. But here's the thing that happens with so many, is that the people that are successful in life recognize that there's a price to be paid to be successful. That's why so many people look on and say, I want to be successful in that, but they don't achieve it because they're not willing to pay the price for success. I have a stepbrother who's an actor, and he's been out in L.A. now for about, I don't know, eight, nine years. And I remember a few years ago, when he had just been out there about two or three years, he had just gotten a small role in a movie, and then he was um, just going to star, he was going to guest star on this episode of uh, some show, whatever it was. But it was a pretty popular show at the time. And, um, and so I remember talking to him, as my, my younger sister was getting married, and I was talking to him about how it was going, and I said, you know, when is like the big break going to happen for you? 
And he says, and he said this to me, and he says, well, Rob, and he called me Rob. No one else in the world is allowed to call me Rob uh, outside of, like, people that knew me, like, when I was in, in Boston. But, um, but he would say this. He would say, Rob, here's the thing, is that some people go to Hollywood and become, you know, they become well-known, they get steady work as an actor, become famous, all that kind of stuff, quickly. But he says the majority of people... It's just a matter of hanging in there because sometimes it takes 10, 15 years to get discovered. And that's why there's this old saying in, in L.A. and in, in the acting industry that says it takes 20 years to become an overnight success. And, and, and that was an amazing thing to me. And so he was still hanging in there. He's still, he's still doing it as I had the big break, but he's working and, and doing some stuff. Um, and the thing is this, is that there's, um, there's, and he was telling me this, that there's like thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people that are actors that move to L.A. every year. To become, you know, famous and, and, and work as, as an actor. But what happens is that because it doesn't happen in the first 18 months, they just go home. And then a whole new shipment of people come in trying to make it. They don't, it doesn't happen in the first 18 months and so they go home. But it, he says the people that hang in there are the ones that eventually make it. And listen, that principle is true. He says, but they've got to put in the hard work. Same thing that happens uh, in, in marriages. People say they want a successful marriage. Man, I want to be a successful marriage. But are they willing to put in the time, the effort, and the energy to make it happen? In the month of February, if you're going to hang with us for a couple of months, in, in February of 2010, we're going to do a study for six weeks. And the series is going to be called Happily Ever After. And the, the, sub t- the, kind of the tagline for the series is this, Happily Ever After, it happens, but not by accident. And the idea is this, that we're going to look at for six weeks, six famous couples in the Bible and what we can learn from them about marriage and how to have a successful relationship and have a happily ever after type of marriage. But here's the thing. It takes work. People want to advance in their careers. But listen, very few put forth the effort and do more than they get paid for to achieve success. And listen, this is hugely important because here's what so many people do. They say, well, I'm only going to do what I get paid for. If you only do what you get paid for, you're only going to get paid what you get paid. It's when you do more than you get paid for that you end up getting paid more. It's a simple, it's, it's, it's a simple equation, but that's the way that it works. You see, the way that it works in life is like the opposite of the way it works at dinner. When you go to dinner, here's what you do. You order your food, the food comes, you eat it, you enjoy it, and then the bill comes. And then you're like, I didn't order that. You know, and then you start... I ordered that, it cost too much, or whatever the case. But here's the deal. In life, it's totally the opposite. In life, you've got to pay the price up front. And then you get to enjoy the fruit of your labor. And that's the thing that's so important and the thing that's so key. And so what I want to do for the next few minutes that we have is I want to spend the time talking about what the Bible has to say about success. If you have your Bible, open it with me to the book of Proverbs chapter 6. And here's the thing. There's so many verses that we're going to cover, so many things we're going to talk about. But I, what I wanted to do was look at the passages in Proverbs that really speak of the overarching principles of success. Because there's a lot that the Bible says about success in particular areas of life. But I wanted to look at what are the overarching principles of success in any area. The principles that come to marriage, finances, parenting, uh, your career, uh, whatever it is, your friendships, how, what are any of these things? And you know what I found? It, is that there are these four overarching principles that are found in the book of Proverbs. And here's what I think, that I think is so cool. is that not only does God give us the principles for being successful, but God also gives us a, a very 
different kind of role model than maybe one that we would expect. So let me have you start in verse 6 of Proverbs 6. Here's what we read. It says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which, having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, here's what I want you to write down in the the notes that we gave you. And the first is this, that successful people are this. They are self-starters. Successful people are self-starters. Now, what I mean by that? Here's the thing that's so important. (coughs) Pardon me. I have this thing that happens to me every time that I decide to teach on a subject. God has this way because he knows I like to tell stories is whatever it is that I'm teaching on, that's what happens in my life. Two weeks ago, I decided that I was going to teach this message on ants. And guess what I've had my house infested with the last two weeks? Ants. I partially blame all of you because you like hearing stories. Um, but I've somewhat been talking to God, and I'm like, God, why? I could have just watched like a bug's life, gotten some illustrations from that, shown a clip of it, had been done. you know. But now I have all this stuff with ants, so I just praying and i said god next week i'm teaching on how to inherit a million dollars from a dead relative um we'll see how that goes over and uh but well here's what so here's what happens um about two weeks ago once i decided i was going to teach on this all the ants decided to start coming all the ants in my neighborhood decided hey let's go to bob's house and um you know so if you walk into our kitchen there's like all these little crazy you know the little crazy ants they're everywhere and so um a couple of weeks ago, around the same time, all four of us, uh, my wife and I and our two kids, we all got sick. And so we all went to the doctor and we took our kids to the doctor and, and they said, um, you know, for my son Alexander that he'd be fine, just give him a couple of days. And for my daughter, just give her, like before she's going to take a nap or go to bed, to give her a little Benadryl and that that'll, that'll help her. Um, and so what, what was happening was is that as we were getting ready for bed, um, one night she comes into the kitchen, I get the Benadryl, I pour it out to the, where the little line says, I give her some, and then she drinks it, I rinse it out, put the cap on. What I didn't realize was I had, when I, she gave me back the, the little, you know, little cup, the mini size cup, that like one little drop had fallen on the counter. Well, then I went, pajamas, prayer, go to sleep, all that, you know, because we have, my daughter and I have this like whole ritual that we go through so she can go to sleep. Um, and so, anyway, so we have this whole thing. She goes to sleep. I go back to the kitchen to get a bottle of water for myself. And there's like ants everywhere because they found this one little drop of Benadryl. By the way, that doesn't help them go to sleep. I, I learned that. It only makes them stronger. It was the weird, it has the opposite effect on ants. And I'm telling you, it only took like 20 minutes and there was like this whole family of ants like, hey, we've got a fresh supply here. Let's drink all of this. And I'm telling you, and here's the thing that was amazing about ants and what I'm learning and the same thing as the passage in Proverbs talks about. And that is this, is that the ants, they're not waiting around. They are action oriented. That's what makes them successful bugs. It says, listen to this, it says, they're not, they don't have a captain. They don't have a ruler. They don't have an overseer. They just go for it. They're not waiting for Captain Ant or Captain Kirk or anybody else to tell them what to do. They're just going to go for it. And, and that's the thing. It's the, the fact that they're taking action that gets them what it is that they want and where it is that they need to go. And that's the thing that we can learn from them. And that's what God says for us. He says, consider the ant. Think about the ant. What is he doing? The ant is a self-starter. If you want to be successful, here's the principle. In any area of life, 
You've got to be motivated to get where it is that you want to go. You don't have to, you know, if you're going to be successful, don't wait for somebody to push you, for somebody to convince you, for somebody to, like, wake you up in the morning with a theme to Rocky. You know, I I was going to wake up and I heard, and then I heard that come in and then I came into the kitchen and I drank two raw eggs. Then I climbed up, you know, jogged up the steps. You don't need all of that. Instead, here's what you need to do. You've got to get going. Now, let me tell you what happens with us as Christians. If you've been a Christian for more than like two years, right? You've been reading the Bible, following Jesus, coming to church. Let me tell you what happens is that we kind of learn the lingo. And then here's what we do is that we learn the lingo and then we use that lingo as our excuse as to why we don't do what God wants us to do. So you hear about an opportunity that comes up, like of something you already know God wants you to do. And here's what we do. We'll say this. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm praying about it. <clears throat> you are. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, the Bible talks about serving God and using your gifts and talents to serve him. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm praying about that. I'm praying about it. Really, you've been praying about it for like 14 years. Have you heard anything yet? You've read through the Bible 82 times. Anything happening? Now, here's the thing. Now, let me... Let me do this. I'm going to take you to like one of the most famous stories in the Bible. You might get a kick out of this. If you turn with me to Exodus chapter 14, I want you to check this out for a moment. How many of you, as you're turning there, you've seen like the movie The Ten Commandments? You know, Charlton Heston, you know, you've, you've seen like The Prince of Egypt. You've, been, you've watched some kind of television, seen some kind of show that has the Moses, Children of Israel, Red Sea, Parting, right? You've all, we've all seen something like that. Now here's what, here's what the deal is. Most of us have seen a story that goes like this. The children, of Israel, the children of Israel are at the Red Sea. The Pharaoh and his armies are coming towards them. They're in between two mountains. If you're taking note, the two mountains are called Piahiroth and Migdal. Between those two mountains, they've got the Red Sea in front of them, Pharaoh's army behind them. They are stuck as stuck can be. Like, what are we going to do? And then here's the famous line in the movie, right? Charlton Heston, he says, Stand back! And see the salvation of the Lord. Right? This is that's like a climactic scene. He holds out his staff. The sea parts. They go through. Pharaoh's army takes a swim. And the, you know, it's like this climactic scene. And then the movie's over. Right? But here's the thing. It's not exactly how it went down. There's like this one scene that they left out. And they left it out because it's not a Hollywood ending. Now let me read you this. This is the part you know in verse 13. It says, And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. He will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians which you see today, you shall see again forever. You shall never see again, no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and shall hold your peace. Now, it's the end of the paragraph. But here's the thing. Now, we would think that that's where the sea parts and that's where everybody goes through. But see, there's another little scene. That we don't get told when we watch the movie. It's only here in the Bible that we actually get told the other little scene. Here's what it says. Let me read you verse 15. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward, but lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground in the midst of the sea. <clears throat> you see, here's the thing that's so interesting to me. In the movie, stand back, see the salvation of the Lord. He holds the staff, everybody goes in. But here's what happens in the, in the real story, like in the Bible, how it really went down. How it really goes down is this, in dramatic fashion, as I will dramatize it for you now in my one-man uh, one play. He says, stand back and see the salvation of the Lord, but the next verse says this. It's like he hides behind a rock or something, and he's like, oh God, what do I do now? Let me pray. And here's what God says to him. 
What are you doing praying now? That's what he says. Why are you crying out to me? He's saying, the time for praying is over. And then, listen, here's the thing that's amazing. That's verse 15 and 16. 17, 18, 19, 20. He's still trying to convince Moses to do it. And then in verse 21, it says, then Moses stretched out his hand. It's like God's got to give him the whole pep talk. Like, stand back, see the salvation of God. Oh God, help me. What am I supposed to do? You already know what to do. We've gone over this, right? Remember the staff turned into a snake, run it back, staff, put it in the water, turn it into blood. But the staff's got a little bit of mojo. <laughs> Let's use it. Oh, but I'm not sure. Will you just do this? Okay. You know, see, that doesn't make for like a really good Hollywood ending. But that's what happened. Because it's only after he gets the pep talk that he decides that he's going to do. And the thing that we learned from that is this. There's a time for prayer and then there's a time to act on what we know to do. And what, listen, and the thing about people that are successful in any area of their lives, including people who are successful in their relationship with God and grow to maturity in Christ, here's what happens. They know that there's a time to pray, and then there's a time to act on what I already know to do. Because sometimes, here's what happens. We think, say, man, I really wish God would speak to me. I wish God would reveal to me what His will is. Listen, God has already revealed a lot of what He wants us to do. And sometimes we're waiting for God to show us the big thing. But we haven't been faithful in the little things. And it's when we're faithful in doing the little things that God reveals the big things to us. That's why, <coughs> pardon me, that's why this is so important. People who want to fix their marriages, make their marriages better, here's what they do. They just get started in doing it. They're already motivated. They're not waiting for their spouse to kind of like give them the pep talk or, or whatever. They're, they're not doing that. Christians who, who reach maturity... In Christ, people ask me all the time, how, how do I, I want to become mature as a Christian. What do I do? And I say, listen, it's very simple. Here's what you do. You want to write this down. Whatever you read in the Bible, whatever the Bible says, just do it. Huh? Seems too easy. I know. It's, it's crazy. But this is what, it's very simple. You read it in the Bible, you just do it. The, God says do this, then you just do it. And you just keep using that as a habit in your life, and you're going to find that you're passing all kinds of people. Listen, I watch, I watch people who come to know Jesus at relatively the same time, and one starts stalling in their faith, and the other takes off like a rocket. What's the problem? The big difference is this. One person reads it and then says, well, I'm praying about it, I'm thinking about it. The other reads it and says, I'm going to do it. That's because successful people, here's what they are. They're self-starters. You know, one of the things that we do every week on the back of this connection card is we give you opportunities to grow. We've been talking about growth groups for the last month. Why? Listen, we talk about growth groups all the time because we know that it's an environment where people grow in their faith. Like, our growth groups got started this week, and it was just like an introductory session. So one of the things we're going to announce to you at the end is that, hey, if you want to be part of it, this is like the train is leaving. This is it. And so the, 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 the issue is, and some, a couple of the, some of the groups are already full, but some have some availability. But if you want to grow... Now's the time to do it. And you say, well, I was thinking about it. But then, I, you know, see, successful people, they're self-starters. They say, this is what's going to help me grow, so I'm going to do it. Here's the other thing that they do. Look at verse 8. We, we read it, but I want to read it to you again in verse 8. It says this. It says that, here's what ants do. They provide her supplies in the summer and gather her food in the harvest. Here, here's what it is. Successful people, not only are they self-starters, but successful people think future and act present. Successful people, here's what they do. They have goals and objectives that they want to see happen in the future for their lives. 
but they recognize that those things are connected to their present actions. It's amazing. You know, in Proverbs 21.5, here's what the Bible says. It says, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. You see, ants get this better than anybody. Because here's the, what the ants recognize in the future. Here's like any ant. Here's what, they, here's what they're thinking. It's like programmed into their however small their brain is. Here's, maybe this is all they can think, but this is all they've got. Winter is coming. It's all they think about. Winter is coming. That's why they're always out looking for stuff. Because winter is coming. So they're looking, they're going everywhere and anywhere to try to find stuff, their, their food for harvest because they recognize winter is coming. Um, I, I told you my aunt situation. I was putting my daughter, our, our, her high chair is in, in the kitchen. I was putting my daughter in her high chair because it was food time. And so she says, Poppy, ants. And there was two ants that were running across her little tray table on her high chair. And so I brushed them off and I said, Mia, you've got to tough it out a little bit. It's not two ants, big deal. Well, then she sat down, I put the tray on her, and she says, Poppy, ants. And there was two ants running up my arm. I'm like, ah! You know, and, uh, and I'm like, she looked at me like, tough it out, huh? Yeah. Anyway, it was, it was not my best moment, and that's because bugs are gross. Um, but here's the thing. Listen, these ants, they're relentless. They All they can think is that winter is coming. I have a friend... Um, and you're, I'm going to tell you the story, and you're going to say, well, that's because he's gross. That's why this happened, because he doesn't clean his house. This guy's a multimillionaire, has like, you know, live-in maid and whatever. And, and here's the thing. Um, he always went to sleep. And like, you know, most people do this. I know a lot of people I know do this. They'll, go, they'll get a glass of water, they'll put it on their nightstand, and then they'll go to sleep. Like, I know so many people do that. I do that. Um, and then, because you wake up in the middle of the night, you're thirsty, you have some water, you put it down, you go back to sleep. Well, one night, he wakes up in the middle of the night, thirsty, it's like typical. He gets some water and he starts to drink it. But the water is like, tastes a little different, the consistency is a little different. Now you're like, whoa, what does that mean? I'm doing a message on ants, so I want you to think real hard about what it could be. Um, he turns the light on. And there's ants all over his cup, all over his nightstand. Something's going on there. Now, mind you, he switched to bottled water immediately after that incident. Uh, but listen... Here, well, listen, here's the thing. While you're sleeping, the ants are working. Because all they can think of is that winter is coming. And so they're just, they're thinking future but acting present. That's the thing that's so important. Too many times, here's what we do. Here's what successful people do. Successful people in any area of their life, here's what they do. They recognize I have goals and objectives. That's future. But I recognize that what I do in the present is either leading me closer to my goals or away from my goals unsuccessful people, here's what they do. They say, those are my goals for the future, but what I do now doesn't really matter in comparison to my goals. So I can make whatever decision now, but I'm sure some, some way, somehow, I'll end up getting over there. You see, the Bible tells us this in Proverbs chapter 16. It says, commit your plans to the Lord, commit your actions to the Lord, and your plans will succeed. You see what's happening there? Commit your actions, what you do today, and your plans, big picture, will succeed. You see, the ant understands the reality. It allows the reality of the future, winter is coming, to affect its present situation. You see, here's what I want you to do, and maybe you can just jot this down, but this is something not really for you to think about now, but maybe you think about it later this afternoon or sometime this week. But what, where do you want to be in five years or ten years? Now, most of us, 
we, we think about that. What do you want to be in five years or ten years? And, and we'll, we'll be able to rattle off some pretty good stuff. We we'll say, man, I want to be out of debt. I want to be married. I want to have kids. I want to own a home. I want to start a business. I want to graduate from college. I want to write a book. I want to be promoted in, in my workplace. And listen, that's all great stuff. But the answer to that question should influence our decisions today. That's what successful people do. They think future but act present. So if you say, hey, I want to get out of debt, can I just tell you that that is a great and very godly goal to have? But if that's the case, if you say in five years, I want to be totally debt free. It's a great and godly goal. But here's what I would encourage you to do. Allow that goal to affect your current decisions. If you say, well, I want to start a business in five years. Okay, well, what does it take to start a business? Oh, I've got to learn a little bit about it. I've got to read some books. I've got to maybe take some classes. I've got to go to some seminars or conferences. I've got to talk to some people that are doing that. Great. But that doesn't happen until you start doing that in the present. And that's, that's really the key. I, I want to be promoted. What does it take? I need increased skills. I need to learn some stuff. Okay, what does it do? So I, I allow that goal for the future to influence and affect my present. And that's what the ant does. That's why God says through Solomon, he says, listen, consider the ant and be wise. Wise people, successful people, they look at the ant and say, you know what? If I was a little bit more like him, I would be even more successful than I am today. Well, look at verse 9. Check out what he says. We're just going to read verse 9. He says, How long will you slumber, O sluggard? And when will you rise from your sleep? Here's, here's the third one. Successful people aren't afraid of hard work. <clears throat> they aren't afraid of hard work. Now, here's what I mean by that. When I was in college, uh, I had a job working on a construction site. Now, it was not glorious work. I was a laborer. And if you've ever worked on a construction site, you know that laborer is like the very bottom of the totem pole. It's like laborer is like one step above like a hammer. You know, I mean, it's like, I'm seriously, you're like one step above and not even in all instances. Sometimes the hammer is above you. Um, but here's the thing. I was just a laborer. And here was my job at the first construction site I worked at. It was that I, I was on this roof with this other guy and I had to tear off the uh, the tiles on the roof and throw them into this giant dumpster. So I'm there working. There's another guy who's a laborer whose name is Martin. And I like to say his name just because of the way the story ends. And just because if he ever hears this, I want him to feel a little bit bad. Um, so this is a guy who trained me. Now, the thing is, is that I started working. I mean, I don't know how much training a person needs to rip off a tile. It doesn't even matter. They're getting thrown out. So you can smash it as much as you want. And then it gets thrown out because the whole roof was coming off anyway. So he says, here's how you do it. So I start working. And then he stops me and starts yelling at me. This is like, you know, I start, you start working at like 7 o'clock. This is like 8 o'clock. He's yelling at me. And I'm like, what's the problem? He says, listen, you are working way too fast. And he says, do you understand that it's Monday? He says, I want you to look around. You see those cinder blocks? You see those rocks? You see that asphalt down there? The minute that we get done with this roof, we've got to start moving all that around. So here's what we got to do. We got to stretch this out till at least Friday. And the way you're working, you're going to have this done by the end of the day. And I'm like, okay. And he says, so here's what we're going to do. Let me train you properly. <clears throat> he says, here's what you're going to do. He's going to grab a couple of tiles. He says, because now mind you, the only reason that this kid Martin even had a job was because his uncle was the contractor. And so here, here's, what I, he's, here's what he says. This is a true story. He says, you're going to take a few tiles. You see my uncle? He's going to be walking around here in a few minutes. When my uncle walks around here, we're going to go up, we're going to, and we're going to take some tiles, and we're going to make a loud noise like we've been like, one of those, as we throw stuff into the dumpster. And then he's going to see us. I'm like, these guys are doing a good job. 
Well, then, you know, it's like one of those houses. It's like a, it wasn't a flat roof. It was, like, it was one of those sloped deals. And he says, and then after he does that, because he's going to go to another job site, we're just going to go to the other side. We're going to like, climb up and go to the other side of the house where there, because it was right on the intercoastal. And he says, and then we're just going to watch the boats on the intercoastal for a little while. Then, around another time, a little closer to 10 o'clock, my uncle's going to come back. We're going to take a few more tiles. We're going to do the same thing. And then he says, but, you know, you're going to get us in big trouble if you keep keeping up this pace of working fast. Because then we're going to be doing concrete, smashing up, working with the jackhammer, and you do not want to work with the jackhammer, I'm going to tell you right now. So he tells me this whole thing, and then he gives me this line, which is like his philosophy of life. He says, Bob, I just want you to remember something. We're taking this one break at a time. That's how we're doing this job. We're taking it one break at a time. Uh, True story. And you say, well, whatever happened, uh, I'm actually, one of my closest friends is Martin's cousin, um, which is kind of funny because they're nothing alike. And, um, you know, now Martin now resides in like a socialist country, not America, a different socialist country. Um, Sorry, 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 sorry. I'm holding back. Um, I'm holding back. Um, and you know, he's in some socialist country living off the government, taking it one break at a time. And, but here's the thing that's important. Successful people work hard. Successful people rise up to the challenge. Here's what unsuccessful people do. They make excuses as to why they can't or why they won't. One of my favorite Proverbs these days is Proverbs chapter 26, verse 14. It says this, as the door turns on its hinges, so the sluggard turns on his bed. I love that. You know, just like you open a door, open a door and it just kind of like, it just kind of turns. Here's what happens when the alarm clock goes off for the lazy person. They go, eh, and just kind of roll on their bed and turn it off if they even have an alarm clock. I was talking to a guy, uh, this is a while ago, and he was telling me to pray for him because he got fired from his job. I said, why did you get fired from your job? He says, Bill, because I overslept and I got there late. I said, just once? He goes, well, you know, like every day. And, um, and I said, well, what happened? He goes, well, it's not really my fault. My mom wouldn't wake me up. And I'm like, dude, you're a grown man. So I'm going to pray that your mom beats you senseless um, and stops being your alarm clock and you stop acting like you're five. Let's pray. He ran away. Um, you know, but th- th- that's the key. Listen, here's a good rule. Make rest a necessity, not an objective. Work in such a way that when you rest, you're like, man, I need this rest. But don't make it the objective of your life. That's why people, when they retire, need new goals. When you retire, listen, this is, very, this is very important. I know that most of us here are young, but this is an important thing. Because a lot of times, like when you get frustrated with work, you're like, you know, someday I'm going to retire and I'm going to do nothing. I'm going to hang out in my underwear all day and watch Springer and Oprah. That's what I'm going to do. You know, just like Martin. Uh, <laughs> that's what I'm going to do. Now, here's the thing that happens. You know, a person that has no new goals, here's how long they, they live if they retire and say, I'm going to do nothing. They live five years. And I'm just, uh, that's, that's statistics. That's not my... That's not my theory or whatever. That, that's, that's the stats on people who retire and say, I have no goals. I have no, there's nothing else that I'm really living for. Why? Because we were created to work. It wasn't like in the, in the garden, Adam had nothing to do. His job was to tend the ground, was to take care of God's creation. It was good work that he had to do. Now, when the curse came into effect, the work became harder. But it doesn't mean that he had, he had nothing to do. And listen, the key is, uh, in, in Proverbs 10.4, it says, lazy hands make a man poor, but, the dil- but diligent hands bring wealth. The amazing thing about hard work is this, is that 
If you're a hard worker at, 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 your, at your place of employment, I can promise you this, you're one of the very few. That's why you're rising to the top in, in, your, in your place uh, of, of work. Why? Because very few people are working hard. I, I just read a stat recently from the Department of Labor. And because, um, you know, government employees are the picture of hard workers. Uh, sorry, sorry. Because, um, sorry. The DMV is one of the most efficient places I've ever been to. Um, sorry, 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 sorry. I'm in a weird mood this morning. Uh, so I apologize. It's afternoon now. Um, see? So here's what happens. Here's what, the, here's what the Department of Labor said. This is their study. That the average worker in the United States in an eight-hour day works two hours. Like actual work is two, in an eight-hour day is two hours. They're also the group that says that they're stressed out, they're underpaid, they're overworked, cause two, but they're working two hours. You've got to understand, that's a lot to ask. I mean, when you think about, like, I've got to work and I've got to forward all those emails with those ridiculous stories at the end that says, forward this to five people if you love someone. You know? Um, so you've got to forward emails. You've got to watch YouTube clips. There's a couple bids on eBay that you're watching. There's gambling online. And there's a Minesweeper co- competition going on. I mean, there's a lot of stuff happening. You've got to fit work in there, too. But listen, if you decide that you're just going to work, you're going to immediately rise to the top. Why? Because you're just not going to have that much competition. Now, here's what the Bible says. It says, do you see a man skilled in his work? He will stand before kings and not serve before obscure men. You see, that's the thing that's amazing is that success is possible, but it takes some hard work. And here's what people say. Because I've taught this stuff in the past. And here's what people come up to me after and say, what about luck? You know, some people are just lucky. You know, that's the problem. See, some of us work real hard, and then some of us are just lucky and get everything handed to us, handed to them. And now, let me give you my definition. First of all, I'm not a big believer in luck, because um, that just kind of takes the, makes everything in the world random, and that God's not really in control of what's happening. But let's just go with that for a minute. Let's just go with luck. Let me give you my definition of luck, or how luck happens. If, here's, this is the equation in your, in, your, um, in your notes. Here's what it is. You want to remember when I write it down. It's hard work plus opportunity equals luck. You work real hard and seize the opportunities that God presents to you, I can promise you that everyone will look, look on and say, look how lucky he is. They won't have seen like all the studying and all the work and all the stuff you've done on the back end. They'll just look on and say, look how easy it is. They'll say stuff like this. You know, he was just in the right place at the right time. I, I hate that phrase. You know why? Because uh, here's my, if you say, well, you know, well, what about being in the right place at the right time? Here's my, here's what I would say. Just work hard and be in a lot of places. And you know what will happen? One of them will be the right place. And because you're just like, you're busy about doing what you're doing, one of them will be the right place at the right time. But the lazy man, here's what he does. He just stays in bed. That's never the right place and it's never the right time. But that's, the thing is this. Successful people aren't looking for luck. They're not looking for excuses. They're simply doing this. They're working hard. They have goals. They have objectives. They have a plan to get from point A to point B because they recognize the verse that we read that if I commit my actions to the Lord, my plans will succeed. And then they enjoy the fruit of success. Let me give you the last one um, in verses 10 and 11. It says this. This is Proverbs 6. It says, A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so your poverty will come on you like a prowler and your need like an armed man. Now let me give you the last one here, the fourth principle, and that is the successful people avoid unnecessary problems. 
doesn't mean they don't have unnecessary they don't have problems. They avoid unnecessary problems. Uh, when I was growing up in Brockton, Massachusetts, where I'm from, uh, here, here's what <coughs> here's what happened. One of my responsibilities as a kid, 12, 13 years old, was to mow the lawn. That was one of the responsibilities my stepdad gave me was to mow the lawn, and then I was paid a hefty allowance of five bucks to do so. And so he didn't care how I did it, when I did it, but it needed to get done. Well, um, sometimes, because I had other responsibilities, like collecting baseball cards, mastering the curveball in the game of wiffle ball, and, you know, other things that were really going to change my life later, um, I didn't have time to mow the lawn. And so then he would step in and say, hey, uh, Robert, before you do anything else, so you're going to get home from school, you're going to cut this lawn, because I practically need a machete to get to my front door. Um, and because the grass is like a foot high, and now the neighbors are looking at us saying, look, the weird abandoned house. And so um, so I said, okay, so here's what would happen. Now, let me just tell you a little bit about mowers in that time. Like now there's like the mowers. I'm amazed. You know, I watch my next-door neighbor's kids um, who, are, who are a little older, and, you know, he, they're a great family. He's, he's a great, uh, great, they're great parents. But, you know, he's a kid. He's 14, 15. He's not really excited about uh, mowing, his, mowing his lawn, but it's, he's got like the easiest mower. It's like one of those self-propelling push mowers. I watch him. He's just kind of walking behind it. The thing's even making the turns themselves. You know, it's like he's just there as like a chaperone. You know, when I was mowing lawn, now I'm going to sound like I'm 80 years old. You know, and back when I was mowing lawns, it was uphill both ways. Um, but when I was mowing lawns, here's, we, here's what we had. You had the, uh, you know, they didn't have like the nice little grips. It was just metal on metal, like that. And then the only way, the only self-propelling you got is if you just got in there and started pushing. And then you know how now the, the new mowers here's what they do: they slice, they, they cut up the the um, the grass so fine that now it kind of spreads out in the grass and it serves like fertilizer and makes your grass better. Here's what I had: old school, old school. We had this giant bag attached to it. Right? Somebody's with me. With this giant bag attached to it. Here's what would happen. Because I would wait so long to mow the lawn, I would push it like ten steps. And then the bag was full. Because it was like the size of like a Publix bag. And then I would have to go inside, get the giant trash bag, put it in there, then go back in. Ten more steps. Fill up the bag again. And you know what happened? Now I look back and I calculate it should have taken me about 30 to 45 minutes to cut my lawn. And that includes like the weed whack and edging and all that stuff. It wasn't that big of a deal. It would take me like three hours to cut the lawn because I would have to change the bags and do all that stuff. And here's the thing. I created all of these unnecessary problems for myself all because I was lazy. And that's the very thing that happens. Successful people, it's not that they don't have problems. It's that they don't create unnecessary problems for themselves. Now, here, let me explain why I share this with you. In Proverbs 24, here's what it says. This is the second to last verse in your outline. It says, I went by the field of the lazy man and by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding. And there it was, all overgrown with thorns. Its surface was covered with nestles. Its stone wall was broken down. When I saw it, I considered it well. I looked on it and received instructions. And here's what he says. Same as Proverbs 6. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little resting, a folding of the hands to rest. And so your poverty shall come on you like a prowler and your need like an armed man. You see, here's what happens. And here's what he's saying. What he's saying is this. He's saying, well, I can just rest. I can just ease off the throttle for a while and I'm sure I'll be able to coast. It's not the way that it works. You see, here's what happens. We can either do the right thing 
And these are the options that we have. We either do the right thing and we can invest in our marriage and in our relationships, or we can wait for the wheels to come off and then we've got to go to like the relationship ER to get things fixed. And when it goes to that bad, sometimes it doesn't get fixed the way that it could have been fixed if we had just kept up and done the things that make marriage work. You see, you can either invest in your relationship with God on a daily basis, or you can wait for the wheels to come off in your life and say, well, I, wonder, I wish God would have done this or that, and we realize that it's an issue of bad decisions. See, you make a, series of, a whole series of bad decisions, you get to the backside of your life, and then you start wondering, well, I wonder what would have happened if I had just honored God and made the right decisions. Because, see, it's, it's not the way that it works. You, can just, you create this whole cumulative effect. When you say, I just make all these bad decisions, and then one right decision is going to make it all go away. It doesn't. The Bible says this. It says, the way of a lazy man is a, is a hedge of thorns, but the way of the upright is a highway. And this is such a perfect verse to explain that it's not that successful people don't have problems. Many of them have lots of problems and, and lots of challenges in becoming successful. But the issue is this. They don't create unnecessary problems for themselves. I want you to look at that. The way of the lazy man is like a hedge of thorns. Have you ever run through a thorn bush? Right? Nobody's ever run through a thorn bush and say, wow, I'd love to do that again. Why? Because it's like a horrible experience. You're scraped, you're scratched, your clothes are ripped. Why? And it's like, man, I just wanted to go over here, but it was like unnecessarily hard. But then he says this, the way of the upright is like a highway. So it's like I can either walk through these bushes that causes a problem, or there's like this sidewalk that's like well landscaped and manicured. All the bushes are, are, are pushed back and, 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 and cut. And now I'm able to walk by and even get even farther faster. And that's the key. That's the key. The lazy man's route creates unnecessary problems. You see, the bottom line is this. If you haven't gotten it this far, the bottom line is this, is that if you want to be successful, it takes hard work. In any area of your life. I'm not just, I, I've, I've mentioned career a lot, but it's not just your career. If you want to be successful in your relationship with God, if you're a Christian, here's what happens. Maturity in Christ does not happen by accident. Maturity in Christ happens when I'm intentional about growing in my relationship with God. When it comes to my career, I have to be intentional about it. When it comes to having a great marriage, here's the great thing. Is that a great marriage does take a lot of work. But here's the good news. Is that a bad marriage takes even more work. Because there's like the daily badness and the daily misery that happens when you have a bad marriage. Instead, you do, the, you do the, 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 hard, the hard work on the front end, and then you continue doing the work throughout your marriage, and instead you have daily joy. And it's just, the same thing is true. Listen, to be mature, you've got to take the classes, you've got to get into the groups, you've got to make the wise choices that get you to where it is that you ultimately want to be. It's the actions now that lead us to where it is that we want to go. But I will say this, and I'm done. I know I've gone a couple minutes over. But I just want to tell you this one last thing. There's only one area of life where it really doesn't have anything to do with what we've done or what we do. When it comes to how we come to know God or how we enter into a relationship with God, it has nothing to do with what I've done, but has everything to do with what Jesus has done. You see, God hasn't left it up to us to figure it out, to say, well, if you're good enough, then I'll accept you. In fact, that's one of the things that I hear sometimes from people when we give an invitation for people to come to know Jesus. They'll, they'll say, and this is a very common thing, they say, I just don't feel like I'm good enough. And, and, and here's the truth. Nobody's really good enough. But the issue is, is that God is the one who loves enough 
to accept us, to forgive us, and to change the whole course and direction of our lives. Because the issue isn't, am I worthy? The issue is, God is the one who's worthy. God is the one who's done all the work. That's why when somebody says, I'm just going to clean up my life and then I'll come to God. Instead of doing that, why don't you come to God and watch what He can do in transforming your life? And so here's what we're going to do. If you're here this morning and you say, I, I, I hear what you're saying, and here's, here's what I... Here's what, I would really like for God to come into my life. I've known things about God, but I, don't, I wouldn't say that I have a relationship with God, that I, I feel God's presence in my life, and I feel I'm a person who feels forgiven and free and who has hope for the, for the future and hope in the present. Listen, that's what Jesus came to do, to offer forgiveness. That's what the cross is all about. It offers forgiveness for people. It offers hope for the future. It offers, he offers peace in the present and forgiveness in our past. And so we're going to close in just a moment. And as I do, I'm going to, if, if you want to make that decision this morning, I'm going to have you repeat a prayer with me. And now the prayer is not a magic formula. It's simply this. They might be my words, but what I'm hoping is, is that they reflect your heart towards God. And that God, when a prayer like, like this prayed in sincerity, listen, God will hear, He'll answer, and He'll act. And begin to change your life. And you begin living a forgiven life. Not one that's based on what we've done, but one that's based on what God has done. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you for the fact that you give us these principles. That you give us these principles because, God, you want us to live the life of the righteous, the life of the upright. The person who's diligent and experiences the fruit of their successes. But God, you also give us the principles to recognize that when it comes to knowing you, it's about what you've done, not what we can do. And so, Lord, now there are some here who want to make that decision to follow you, to invite you into their lives, to experience the life and peace that comes from your spirit. Listen, those of you that are here that want to make that decision, I'm going to invite you to repeat this prayer and repeat it out loud to see God work. Say, dear God, I open my heart and I invite you in. I ask that you forgive me of all I've done wrong. I thank you for Jesus who died for me that I might have life. I want to follow you starting right now. In Jesus' name, amen.